0: Good morning again, this is the message that we are proclaiming to you, the message that we are proclaiming to the world, that the Lord is our rock and our redeemer, gracious savior of my ruined life. We praise him because my guilt and cross was laid on his shoulders and in my place he suffered, bled and died. This is the gospel message and this is why the church is here on this earth, it is to preach this message. And so as we begin today, let's go ahead and go before the Lord uh, with a word of prayer. God, we thank you for your grace to us and for your kindness. We thank you for this uh, message of the gospel. I thank you for using unworthy servants like myself to communicate this message. I pray that I would not be a distraction to the truth, but rather that the truth of your word would be clear today, I pray that you'd help us to understand what it is you have called us to do in Christ's name, amen. Why are we here? Um, It's probably a pretty broad question, it could be taken in a number of different directions. Um, Let me ask it this way. If you're visiting with us here in our local community, uh, why is Crossview Church here uh, in this community, and why is Crossview Church here in a very public place, singing, preaching, and worshiping? In this place that we are at now, we have a unique intersection between the church and the community. Uh, We hope that um, even many people who are just here at the park today would Maybe stop for a minute and listen in. Uh, Why is it that our church uh, is right here in the community? And if you are visiting with us today, I want to tell you, I want to communicate something to you today. Uh, If you're an unbeliever, I want to communicate as clearly as I can the message that the church has for you. And so in one sense, this message is going to be a message to Those who are not Christians, who are unbelievers, I want you to walk away from this saying, at least I know now clearly what the message of the church to the culture is. And if you are here with us today as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, I want to communicate to you the clear message that we have been charged with taking to the world And I want to encourage you not to abandon that charge. It's very tempting for us as Christians and believers, in order to gain some sort or some variety of credibility from the world, it's very tempting for us to alter or change the message that the Lord has given to us. And we simply are supposed to deliver the mail. We are simply supposed to take the message that God has given to us and give this to the world and leave the results in his hands. And I want to encourage you as Christians not to abandon that charge. And the reason that we need to hear this message clearly given today is because the line between the world and the church has become very blurry in recent years. Sometimes it's very difficult to tell which one is the world and which one is the church. Uh, I'm afraid that the message of the gospel in recent years has become diluted. And I want to encourage us with this fact. We are not repackaging and patenting any worldly value system. The church has a unique message to preach to the world that stands out above all other messages that the world might want to give to you. And so I really only have two points today. I want to start with looking at temptations and warnings to the church. Uh, and then I want to look at the message of the church. This message, by the way, we have been going through the book of 1 John um, week by week. And uh, sometimes we take a break from that, or whatever series we're in in Church in the Park, and sometimes we continue with that. And this year, uh, maybe a little bit of both, we are taking a pause from our series through 1 John But this actually may be a little bit of a uh, a rabbit trail uh, of 1 John chapter 2, love not the world or the things in the world. And so I wanted to expand on this concept, particularly because we're right here in the middle of our community. What does it look like to be in the world, uh, but not of the world? What message does the church have to the world? And if you are someone who is from our community, um, what should you walk away with knowing that the church is communicating to you? And so... What I'd like to do is begin in our first point here by talking about the different ways in which we might get the relationship between the church and the world wrong. This part of the message is probably directed a little bit more directly to the believer. An encouragement to you to say, let's not get this part wrong. And then we'll conclude with how we're to get this right. So temptations uh, that the church is susceptible to or warnings. I'm going to give you several of them. The first one Uh, The first temptation that we have as a church is to hide from the world, to hide from it. This is the sin of the Colossians. You may remember in Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 through 23, we read these words. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are no, of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Some Christians look at the world and see the state of things around us, and they say our best strategy is to hide from the world, to isolate ourselves, to insulate ourselves from the world. This is the strategy, of course, of what we saw with the Colossians. We also see that this is the strategy of monks and ascetics. We might call this strategy escapism. We're going to escape from the world and uh, try as hard as we can to not get anywhere close to it. One might hide from the world for several reasons. Some hide because of the evil in the world, and and they want to keep themselves clean by isolating or insulating themselves from it. Others hide from the world because they believe that spiritual things are good and physical things are evil, and so they try to avoid getting too involved in worldly matters. After all, we're just going to die and go to heaven, and who cares about anything in this world? Others hide from the world because maybe they just prefer to be alone. Uh, In any event, we have this reminder from Proverbs 18 in verse 1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. We are called, as believers in Christ, not to isolate ourselves. Many well-meaning Christians fall into this error. They try to protect their children and family from the world, but end up having no impact on it at all. And so we are called not to hide from the world. That's the first temptation that we may face. The second one is that sometimes we're tempted to embrace the world. This is the sin of Gehazi and Demas. You, of course, know the divine commentary on Demas in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. John writes, and we just saw this recently uh, in our series in 1 John. 1 John 2.19 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they're not all of us. Some in the church may find the appeal of the world, the worldly value systems, too much to resist, and so they abandon the church and run to the world. This, of course, takes many different forms today. Uh, one of the popular terms that is used to describe this phenomenon is the term deconstruction. There are many people who claim to be deconstructing their faith. Uh, Pilgrim's Progress talks a little bit about uh, the interaction here between Christian and Demas. Demas invites Christian to join him. And then Christian says, is it dangerous? Is it dangerous to join you, Demas? Is it dangerous to embrace the world? And Demas replies and says, Not very dangerous except to those that are careless. But withal he blushed as he spoke. Those who would abandon the church for the world are among those who make shipwreck of their faith. The third temptation that we may face or uh, warning to the church is that the church is sometimes tempted to mimic the world. And the biblical illustration of this uh, is going to be the golden calf incident. I want you to remember this incident and recall a very subtle statement that if you read over this passage too quickly, you may miss. After Aaron builds the golden calf, in Exodus 32 and verse 5, we read this. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, that is the golden calf, And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord, Yahweh. And the interesting thing to note here, and the subtle statement to note that may be glossed over if you read through this passage too quickly, is that Aaron and the Israelites never claimed to worship a false god. They claimed to worship Yahweh, the one true Lord. They never claimed to worship idols. They never claimed to worship false gods. They maintained that they were worshiping the Lord and that they were worshiping Yahweh. But they mimicked the world's worship. They mimicked the way that the world did things. They adopted the value system of the world. They adopted the thinking of the world. They adopted all of these things in an effort to be more appealing Of course, examples of this are a dime a dozen in today's culture. Many churches today adopt the world's views on psychology, origins, authority, truth, salvation, family, gender, politics, and then expects an audience with the world. You see, the problem that we have here is that the world is not inviting the Christian to the table. The world has organized their roundtable to discuss events and issues, and the world has created this platform, and the Christian does not have a seat at that table. And so the Christian looks around and says, I crave an audience with the world. I crave a seat at that table. And so many Christians, in an attempt to have a seat at the table, begin to make themselves look just like the world. And they reason, see, we're really not that different from you. One might consider that just in the past week alone, we've heard many reports of prominent churches preaching the increasingly popular at-the-movies summer sermon series. Pastors and their wives on stage, literally dressed like Woody and Bo Peep from Toy Story, churches trying to find some sort of spiritual message in Hollywood, pastors preaching Barbie sermons or Jurassic Park sermons, and all kinds of things like this. C.H. Spurgeon saw this many years ago when he said another great evil of the times is the insatiable craving for amusements. Responding to churches in his own day who were doing things like this Spurgeon said, to what length of tomfoolery will ministers of the gospel yet go? Well, apparently, they would go much further than they did in Spurgeon's day, as we have seen plainly in recent days. As it turns out, the Canaanites didn't need to go to Israel to worship idols. They had their own. Consequently, the world doesn't need to go to the church to get microwaved TED Talks. They have their own. Most churches today recycle the world's philosophies, but just slap on Christian wrapping paper. And many people leave the church today because they can get the same exact message straight from the tap, rather than having it processed, recycled, and repackaged by the church. What we want the world to know is we want the world to know that our message is, is different than any message you can think of. If our message is the same, then there's no reason for our existence. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, The glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. It is then that the world is made to listen to her message though it may hate it at first, that is how revival comes. That must also be true of us as individuals. It should not be our ambition to be as much like everybody else as we can, though we happen to be Christian, but rather to be as different from everybody who is not a Christian as we can possibly be. And so let me warn you as Christians and encourage you as Christians that not, not to abandon the unique message of the gospel that we have in order to be like the world, in order to attract the world, the world. The lengths that you and I are willing to go to dress up the gospel message reveals how much or how little we trust the simplicity of the word of God. Do you trust the simple word? Do you believe in Romans 1.16 that the gospel is the power of God to salvation? And if you believe that, you can simply open up scripture and give the word and let God do the work. We know that he promises that his word will not return void. And so let's keep the unique nature of the gospel message as we preach to the world. We could, of course, go on with more warnings and more cautions and more temptations, but I want to begin to shift here a little bit to the heart of the matter and talk about what the message of the church is. If D. Martin Lloyd-Jones is right, and I believe that he is, what is this different message? What is this unique message? What is it that we want to tell you? What is the nature or the content of this message? Well, let me give you some comparisons and and, and and I want to do this in a way to maybe encapsulate some of the most popular values of the world that the church tends to embrace and repackage. And I want to just do a little bit of comparison and contrast and then kind of funnel down to the core difference and the core message that we have in the gospel. Instead of telling you to be authentic to yourself, As the world tells you, and as many churches are telling you, God tells you to deny yourself. Mark 8 34. Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Instead of telling you that you should look for truth within, as the world tells you, and many churches tell you today, God tells you that your heart is corrupt and that you need to look to him for truth. Jeremiah 17, 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not from that spark of divinity within, quote-unquote, but from the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of telling you that you are the result of a cosmic accident, like the world tells you, God tells you that he has made you in order to bring glory to his own name. Revelation 4.11, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. The grass, the trees, the air, the clouds, the birds, the insects, the creek in front of us, Everything that we see is created by the Lord to bring glory to his own name. Instead of telling you to cut the toxic people out of your life and to leave the places where you are not valued or appreciated, God tells you that you are blessed when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Matthew 5:10 through 12 Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Instead of telling you that you can accomplish whatever you set your mind to because the power of positive thinking, God tells you to yield your will to his. Luke 22, 42, Jesus says, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Instead of telling you that you define your own truth, God tells you that his word is the standard of truth. John 17 and verse 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Instead of telling you to trust yourself and your own intuitions, God tells you that those who trust in man are cursed. Jeremiah 17:5. Cursed is the man who trusts in man, that includes yourself, and makes flesh his strength. Instead of telling you you do you, God tells you to bow the knee. Philippians 2:10 through 11. At the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We have said before many times that every single knee will bow to Jesus Christ, either now or later under duress. But you will bow the knee to Christ. Instead of telling you to follow your heart, God says and compares those who follow their own hearts to those who chase after prostitutes, Numbers fifteen thirty nine. It shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. Lurking behind every corner of the world is a false doctrine that is at war with the church the bible teaches us that we are desperately in need of jesus christ for everything john fifteen five. i am the vine and you are the branches whoever abides in me and i in him he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing The marching orders of the church is that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. We are at war with the world, but we're trying to win the world. The message of the gospel and the message that the church has for the world is not that we are to look within to find the answers, but that we are to look to Christ and Christ alone. And so, as simply as I can, here is the unique message of the church You are a sinner. You need a savior. Jesus Christ is that savior. Believe in him. That's the message that we have. It's simple. It's so simple that a child could understand it. It's so simple that a child could come to Christ. Our message is different And we believe that there is power in that message because it comes from the Lord. And we are staking everything we have on that message and that message alone. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. And so we give the message and we trust the Lord. We are not here today to boost your self-esteem. We are not here today to affirm you. We are not here today to give you microwaved reheated, soggy, second-hand secularism. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, present-day religion far too often soothes the conscience instead of awakening it and produces a sense of self-satisfaction and eternal safety rather than a sense of our unworthiness and the likelihood of eternal damnation. The message of the church to the world is radically different than any message that that, that has a human source. And we are telling you this, you are not enough. You are not sufficient. You are not holy. You are not righteous. You are not worthy. We are telling you the opposite of that. Jesus is enough. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is holy. Jesus is righteous. Jesus is worthy. Of course, there are some consequences to this. It gets us in a little bit of trouble, Jesus himself said in 1 John 3.13, uh, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. But we didn't become Christians because we wanted to win a popularity contest. We became Christians because we're broken. And we need Jesus Christ. And as someone has said one time, a Christ- when we evangelize, it's just one person, one beggar telling another beggar where they can find bread. And that's in... The Lord. My appeal to you is this: flee from the wrath to come. Flee from this and run to Jesus Christ. He will save you. The message of the gospel is that you and I are sinners who deserve God's wrath. But provision has been made through the atonement, through God killing his son in order to appease his wrath. And all who trust in this Jesus will for find forgiveness of sins. You must trust in Christ. And I just want to make this appeal to you here and to any person who can hear my voice in the fringes here at the park. It is to repent and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ alone. This message... Of the gospel is opposite of every message you hear today on the TV, on the news, and the movies, social media. It's the opposite of everything. Now, if you are a Christian, I want to tell you something very specific. Stop trying to isolate yourself from the world, stop running after the world, the opposite of that. Stop mimicking the world, and stop trying to make the message of the gospel sound like the world's message. Embrace the distinctiveness and the uniqueness of the gospel message and preach that message to your neighbor. Jesus is sufficient, he is enough, and he is worthy. And I would like to extend an offer that I myself will be available, and I know many from our church available afterwards, to continue this conversation. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, we will have a more, um, more discussion on this tonight uh, for a little Q&A time. But I I, I seriously, I want to invite anyone who does not know Christ, that we'd love to talk with you. We'd love to point you to the sufficiency of the gospel and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for this time. We thank you that you are worthy, that you're holy, and that you're righteous. We thank you that you have given to us this unique message of the gospel. I pray that the church in America would cling to the uniqueness of and distinctiveness of this message, that we would not shy away from this, that we would preach the gospel boldly to those around us. I pray that if there be anyone here who does not know Christ, that they would repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to flee the wrath to come. We thank you so much for this opportunity to be here, to preach the word and to sing your praises in this public place. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.